This is a huge moment for the history of mankind. Here we have <laughs> England on 99.94. Uh, I'm Jared Kimber. I won't be on this podcast, so that's okay. You won't have to get used to me. But for today, I'm going to be interviewing the great man, Rory Dollard, and his sidekick, Dan Norcross, um, <laughs> as, as, as they're known uh, publicly. Um, these two men have never been, you know, forged together but i'm sure they've probably had the odd late night argument about politics in fact i'm positive they have because i've spent time with both of them and even if they've only ever had one conversation it's probably an argument about politics but what we're going to do on this podcast is make them argue about cricket and that's why i've brought them together the professional posh nor uh, i was gonna say the professional posh boy and the professional northern cricket grumbler uh, is Rory Dollard <laughs> and dan norcross is that the kind of intro you're looking for dan i know you prefer to do the intros not hear them yeah, it was pretty good. Pretty good. I'll give that seven out of ten. Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was it was efficient. It was efficient in offending us both in the space of ten seconds. I don't think it's well. I definitely offended you, Rory. I don't think. <laughs> well, um, let's go to Dan first. Mm. Dan, you were you basically are a posh English person who grifted his way into cricket, and I say that as someone who also grifted my way into cricket. So I say it with admiration, whereas other people may not mm. see it that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm unoffendable, which is usually the case if you're slightly posh, because you need to be, because you're largely offensive to the outside world. Um, <laughs> I mean, posh, yes, I went to an expensive school and I went to um, what is now an expensive university, but when I went to it, it was entirely free, because one thing that Rory and I would probably agree on uh, politically is that the world's gone to hell in a handcart and uh, everything, sh- <laughs> every- everything should be free. Uh, yes, I, I grifted my way into it. I guess so. I started Test Match Sofa in 2009 when I found the business of earning money from the city so soul-destroyingly miserable that I would rather be broke than ever again put on a suit and tie and walk into an office and look at a spreadsheet and talk about supply sides. And I can't even remember what even that meant and going forwards and projections and sensitivity analyses. So, yes, I rejected all that. Um, set up a pirate commentary service, which is a little bit like what Adam Collins did later with White Line Wire and um, and Jeff Lemon and and those guys. And we commentated on England matches initially, home and away. And then we realised, I think, a lot earlier than the ECB, that the direction of travel was moving towards India. So we covered all their games as well, because that way you get more people listening. Um, and also, you know, their cricket was tended to be a bit more fun. And after three or four years of that, uh, it got bought by a magazine called The Cricketer in England. And subsequent to that, I left in 2014 to uh, say, you don't join the BBC, you get to be a freelancer and then they give you a bit of work. And so I ended up on a Test Match Special, which not all of our listeners will be familiar with, but it's basically the, the way in which English people mostly consume international cricket on the radio in England when they're not listening to talk sport, which you're on. Um, and, uh, and I suppose, yeah, I did my first men's test match in 2016, my first women's test match in 2014, and I've mostly covered the England team and all of their opponents for the last six years. And it's enormously good fun and extremely surreal. And I get to bump into Rory at every test match that he's there as he's fulminating with rage at how bad the food is at Headingley. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, that's an obvious one. I, I mean, but you, your cricket background goes back a long mm. way. You, you, do you still play? I mean, you were playing. You and mm. I have shared a partnership. Well, one of us scored runs. The other one was there. But, um, 
you know, um, you, you you played for a very, very long time and you're a huge Surrey uh, fan. I mean, people are going to be shocked by that, but you're a huge Surrey fan as well. You've been travelling to the Oval for, you know, your, your entire lifetime. Yeah, well, Surrey is is the name given to the South London cricket team. It's a very deprived area of London and uh, and I live in South London. So I went to went to watch Surrey from about 1976. I I always captained things like like the second eleven at school because I was never quite good enough. But nobody else at school ever seemed to be remotely interested in the tactics or bowling changes or field placings, um, and 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 indeed making telephone calls. So I ended up captaining various teams because that was the only way you could get an eleven out. And I I continued to play regularly, like twice a weekend, up until I was about forty odd. And then when Test match sofa started. Uh, you notice just how much international cricket is on at the weekends, which is no great surprise, but I'd forgotten about that while I was playing. Uh, so now when I play, I play sort of silly charity games every now and then. But I'm 53 and the business of fielding is so tedious. I'm one of those people who really has embraced the T20 era because it's only an hour and 20 minutes until I can have a cigarette, which um, that's... Don't you have a bat sponsor? I do. Well, I have a, yeah, I do. Woodstock, yeah. Yeah, I've got a my, my actually I've got all my kit right behind me here. Money goes to money, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> me, I just say, uh, of all the people to get a bat spot, you're the most likely. There, there are like kids out there now, like averaging eighty in their in their club league, who you know have to pay five hundred quid for a bat, and you're just like, no, would you like to see my well, yeah, fancy they, they bat need, that someone gave me? They need to learn the hunger for the game, Jared. Things just don't come to you on a plate. You've got to put in hard graft. You've got to you've got to average fourteen point seven three consistency consistently in the Surrey Championship League Division Four Second Division before for twenty five years before you get one of these bad boys. I tell you. One thing I would like to say is you skipped over your school a little bit, but you mm. went to the same school as Nigel Farage and Owen Morgan, and I think in many ways you're a combination of those two great men. Uh, I, <laughs> yes, I, 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 I actually I did go to school with Nigel Farage. He was six years older than me, and. Um, yeah, that was an experience. He was a prefect at the time. It's also the school, I should point out, of Trevor Bailey, former England all-rounder, and A.E.R. Gilligan. Chris for, Jordan? Uh, Chris Jordan as well. But A.E.R. A. Gilligan's a slightly more interesting one because he was the secretary of the British Union of Fascists. So my school has had a long and illustrious history of producing people of dubious political leanings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already realising with this podcast how much of it I will have to watch on YouTube just to watch Rory's face as you pull out facts like that <laughs> um, as he handles them. Yeah, I mean, I was there on Test Match Sofa. I think I missed your first series. I came yep. in when you started your second series. I did about the first year that you are at your house and then moved on to Nigel's flat. Um, I never, Once you went to the cricketer, I, I well um, disappeared by that point. It was, it for me... It was a place where a bunch of huge – it's very similar to what you see with the Tailenders podcast now where the Tailenders podcast is one thing and there is this huge sort of sub-environment of all these fans of the Tailenders podcast who've gone on to make their own podcast and everything else. Test Match Sofa was very similar to that. There were professionals around, um, you know, Mark Steele and Andy Zaltzman and George Dobell, but there was a lot of more people like you and me, Dan, who were just mm. kind of pretending that we were involved in cricket because we liked it. Um it was a very exciting time to be. How how does one go from an organisation that the BBC wants to shut down <laughs> to 
being on the TMS, uh, the, the proper TMS, the Test Match Special, the BBC version, because mm. uh, I, I would love to know how you pulled that off. Well, you've got to send an email first or, or get hold of a telephone <laughs> number. Uh, well, the, the way you pull it off, actually, is that Test Match Sofa had been going for, well, it's, what was it, about five years? I think we'd done five from 2009 to 2013 inclusive, so five sort of years of cricket. And we'd got better and better at doing it. We had better and better people on. And we developed a sort of, it was the same style, but it would, it had been honed to the point when we actually at last knew what we were doing. And because we also had, I say we, <laughs> I tried to inculcate strict disciplines in my ball by ballers so that they would see the ball and call it. And uh, some of them did do that. And <laughs> uh, I guess that meant that we actually had a viable product that if you wanted not to hear cricket done, in the same sort of way, then you could listen to Test Match special, uh, Sofa and you would get uh, you'd get to find out what was going on in the game. And I think TMS at that time was coming to terms with things like Twitter and Instagram, less so, but Facebook and um, all those kind of things that were happening. So they were listening in to what we were doing and how we were using it. Uh, to a degree, I think they saw me strangely as, a, as an asset for progressing the programme editorially just taking it a little bit more into the 21st century, you know. And uh, also, I've done so many hours of commentary. You know, if you do mm. 180 days, I think in 2012, we did 180 days of commentary. There was a time when I was commentating England, New Zealand at 9.30 at night in England, and then instantly moving on at the end of that, that day's play at about 4.30 in the morning, we picked up India versus Australia and continued round through till half 11 in the morning because ABC weren't covering um, India, Australia. And we sort of saw ourselves as not just an alternative space, but defenders of the human right to hear ball-by-ball -ball radio commentary. And, you know, when a country as vast as Australia wasn't able to keep up with the cricket and were forced, therefore, to listen to Test Match Sofa, which was really a bunch of partisan Englishmen and women um, shouting at Michael Clark and being really happy when India won. There was a degree of immense satisfaction. I remember Senator Faulkner, who's a, a lawmaker in Australia, complaining in Parliament. He said, it's bloody ridiculous. I've been listening to the ABC for the last 50 years and now I've got to listen to a bunch of pissed-up Englishmen taking a mickey out of our boys. It's outrageous. And also, I don't know how to get them in the car. So... <laughs> <laughs> I ended up, ended up sending him an email explaining how you can get Test Match Sofa. And he came back and said, thanks, Dan. So there was this kind of strange thing when I realised that we were slightly bigger than just us, as it had been us playing around and trying to find a style and, you know, drinking a bit too much in my sitting room and it started to become genuinely serious. And uh, and then I just didn't want it to end. And the way the, the direction of travel for Test Match Sofa wasn't great. So I thought I'd just speculate and then the the producer of TMS who listened to an awful lot of what we did offered me a gig on a county game. But, you know, I mean, I think the thing that I'm most excited, most proud of, I'm proud of what we all achieved really, because you, you know this, when we were at the World Cup final in Law at Lords in 2019, I think mm. there were seven people there who'd worked regularly on Test Match Sofa, who'd done their first kind of cricket gigs on Test Match Sofa. And they were either commentating for the BBC, writing for the Times, commentating for the Asian network, um, sorting out the, um, the the channel to broadcast the world feed. It was it was extraordinary. So it was a kind of nursery for developing lots of people who've then gone off 
and worked in cricket professionally ever since. And, you know, now it's my living, which is weird. My favourite of all my commentary, I did about a year and a half probably, and my favourite was when we did the England-Bangladesh series, which I think started at 3am, um, and it was you, me, and, and Manny um, mm. turning up at your flat at 2.30 in the morning and working. And we, there was no reinforcements till about 8.30 in the morning. And, and I think it was Gary Naylor came in one morning and we literally just all left him on the microphone on his own because we couldn't, we couldn't yeah. do it anymore. Um, it, was, uh, it was an incredible time. Uh, you've also uh, recently started doing a new podcast, Zero Ducks Given which sounds like a, it's, uh, it's got a great podcast name. Um, take us through that. Well, I was approached by Toby Tarrant, who's the son of Chris Tarrant, who's a, a famous media personality in England, and he was trying to find an irreverent, kind of swearier version of Tailenders, but without that sort of comforting feel that people, you know, you don't want to tune into every podcast and hear that people get on with each other. Occasionally, you want people who are just going to be rancorous and argue. So um, he came to me. I said, "Yeah, I can. I can fulfil that role." But he said, "We need a. We need a, a cricketer." And I don't know why, but Stephen Finn came straight to my mind because he's a wonderfully lugubrious guy who does actually have a really lovely turn of phrase. And he was just making his way in broadcasting. And I've worked with him a bit on Test Match Special, and I wanted to develop a rapport with him. And effectively, the, the basis of the podcast is: you've got the fan who's Toby, you've got the player who's Finney. And you have notionally the journalist because broadcasters sort of have to be journalistic. You you got to you have to um, step back from the action. I think. I mean, I say that there are many commentators who are employed by boards who don't ever step away from the action and very much reflect the uh, the views of that board. But that's not the way we're sort of taught how to do it on TMS. So you kind of um, I, I I act as a sort of break on Toby's lunacy and uh, a reminder to Stephen Finn that. He's still a privileged man because he gets to play cricket. So stop whining about having to bowl 20 overs in a day. It is your job. And that's kind of what the, the podcast is. It happens once a week. Although this week we did a best of because everybody was in different parts of the world. But yeah, so we, we take the, the topics of the day and uh, tear them apart. And uh, if you're really unlucky, you can get to hear a graphic blow-by-blow account of a pimple that I burst in 1994. <laughs> Looking forward to that. I, I'm a big fan of of this new podcast we put together here on 99.94 because the minute you said there that you know the idea of a podcast is to argue with people, <laughs> Rory got excited because that is obviously Rory's that is Rory's main. Uh, I would say main skill, but I, I almost say your main hobby, well, Rory. At yeah, a certain I'm, point, I'm, you I'm you know, I don't it. think I've ever seen you in a corner of a pub just having a. You know, you're always arguing about something, whether it's, you know, Bob Dylan versus Springsteen Easy. or whether Easy. it's politics or whether it's anything to do with yeah. Liam Plunkett. I mean, these are all things, these are all things with easy, correct um, answers. I know. can settle them all for you now if you want. Springsteen, <laughs> red, not blue, and Plunkett, yes. <laughs> Vote Plunkett um, is what I'm hearing here with, yep. with a soundtrack by Bruce. Um, you you oh, played gosh. cricket uh, a lot. Uh, when, when you were growing up. Uh, in fact, if my sources are correct, you recently made your first ever 100, probably about, what, 15, 17 oh, years yeah, past your pr- prime, prime, and somehow you made good. 100? You've, you, have, uh, you have deliberately dropped me in this, um, to, to be clear, because I asked you not to mention that, because the lads I play with now... Yes, you did. The lads I currently play with, so when are you going to talk about that on your podcast? Now, I didn't have a podcast for most of the time they've been saying this, you know, every time I do a misfield, which is more regular than I would like, 
put that in your bloody podcast. You know, and I, I don't even have one. They just they just grossly <laughs> misunderstood what my professional life was. Now it's seemingly I do. And I was uh, I was not going to give them the satisfaction of talking about my superb 123 um, because, you know, I was getting on towards a... 123? 123. 123. Yeah, thanks, thanks for stressing that. Oh, that's yeah. annoying. That's annoying. <laughs> well, be- I've, 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 got, I've got 200s in my life. One of them was against the Green Party. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's my height. Yeah, Good. the great uh, it was a the great green party on a on an astroturf wicket, uh, which had been newly laid, and the ball did not deviate. I just feel the green party is just a lot of people bowling finger spin without it spinning. <laughs> I don't know why I feel that's the green party's <laughs> attack. But... In that case, I might I might have played against the green party as well. In that case, <laughs> yeah, they're a very very accommodating bunch. But my my highest score is one hundred and eighteen, so I'm 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 a bit cheesed oh, off. Well, I'm sorry about you've that. Got, was... You've you've surpassed me by five. But yeah, I'd like to stress. I should really stress when you say I played a lot of cricket. Never to an acceptable standard. Uh, <laughs> recreational was mm. the word um, on every level, but. Yeah, I've. Um, I reckon I haven't played league cricket at any level in about eight. Well, since my daughter was born, really, my daughter's just turned nine, and it. I just kind of got back into it very gradually, and I thought I'll give it a crack this year. So I got back into it because previously, um, Dan said he was into T Twenty cricket, you know, for his fielding and stuff. I have settled another debate, really, in my, very clearly in my own mind, that the best format of cricket is nets, isn't it? Because. <laughs> Yeah. Because my 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 return my return to cricket of any kind was me going down the local club and doing nets, and it was you know like you get two hours, you back at you back at your front door for bedtime, you've had a bit of a ball, a bit of a bat, you might have had a pint, and you know you haven't let anyone down. <laughs> Maybe you only yourself at the very it's, worst. I, I, I think it's the best format. I don't know why they don't BCB don't market it more. You're insane. You have to keep on bending down and collect the ball out the back of the net and throw it back. And then they, they, they bowl a ball at you every 15 seconds. It's exhausting. And the- <laughs> I, had a, I had a net at the start, start of this year and I couldn't walk for a week. I, the, 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 idea of, the idea of returning to a form of cricket where if the ball hit your stumps, you had to leave really offended me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you're, you're not alone. It offended WG Grace and Virat Kohli. So, um, yeah, you're I'll, in, take bron- I'll take company. bronze on that podium, yeah. <laughs> So you're from the north. I don't, I don't know. I don't really know where. I've never asked. But yeah. somewhere, somewhere up north. Um, you know about cricket. Then you play cricket. You your your professional career though is a lot more varied than that. Um, you covered a lot of football in your in your time. Uh, you covered the Olympics, Commonwealth Games. My yeah. favorite one, which you told me before, was you covered the launch of a Formula One car. Yeah, which sounds <laughs> riveting. Uh, a real shame I didn't miss out on that. Um, uh, I, you know that that sounds great, but you 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 have a proper you know unlike me in Norcross, you have a proper background in uh, in journalism and coming up well, the, yeah, the, right the right way. way. It felt like the wrong way a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I studied journalism at well, I studied at university, and then I I had three housemates who all had courses that one of them was a doctor, one of them was an engineer, one of them did a PGCE in teaching. And they were all staying on university for another year. And I thought, well, I'll be damned if they're staying and I'm not. So I really better find something that keeps me here. And uh, that was journalism, seemingly. And I got into journalism via, I'd been doing music reviews for the uh, BBC website in Yorkshire, in um, Sheffield, where I was studying. And that was that was enough to get me through the door, really, that I'd been going to write nice things about uh, people playing at the lead mill. Uh, so, I was, yeah, so I did my journalism suddenly found out that involved going to like magistrates court and uh, like local council meetings, things like that. That was all part of the gig. 
and we were I was <laughs> made my very best impression of thinking that was you know I made all the right faces when, when I had to do those things and I thought I could really do with getting some cricket <laughs> if I could possibly help it uh, and I ended up on a work experience at the press association which is the uh, like national news agency wire service and that was 2006 and this is 2022 and I'm still there and I'm covering cricket for them which is uh, which is great but as you say, I uh, I mean, you know, if you're going to do journalism and, and sport, it's really, really hard to walk in something like cricket because not many jobs, frankly. You know, if you look around, I mean, even people who follow it quite closely on social media will know there's only a small number of people who, who are on that circus, really. It's not it's not a huge thing. It's, it's hard to get paid easily. Um, so I did football because that's what you do, you know. Football's where, football's where the, the money and the, and the business is. So I covered probably, gosh, 10, 12, 14, I don't know, years of did Premier League football. I was the pound for pound, the funnest job I ever had was being the correspondent for the Northern Ireland football team uh, at a time when I was the only journalist from the UK, well, only journalist from England covering. Uh, and, and then there was the Belfast guys who, who did it. But, you know, that involved at one stage, at, at its absolute peak of funness, I did 10 days in Uruguay and Chile. Uh, covering friendlies for Northern Ireland. Ooh. So that was good fun. And with a very, very heavy heart, I traded it in for the England uh, number two job, which involved um, sweaty mixed zones and trying to get a quote out of uh, Ben Chilwell with another hundred people. Uh, and, it, and it was, you know, it started off fairly rubbish with that uh, 2016 when England got beaten by Iceland, if any of your fans uh, are following that. But then I got on the Southgate era and I went all the way through to the 2018 World Cup in Russia. And then I hopped aboard cricket because that, that seat became available. I mean, that's the thing you're talking about. You, there was basically one person in front of you, David Clough, who is um, he's very famous within uh, cricket me- English cricket media of being one of the most... God, I don't know of- the correct way of describing. I'm fascinated by this. I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> to see him squirm trying to find the right the bottom mo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Cluffy is one of the most peculiar yet straightforward people you'll ever meet, and I don't know how to reconcile that in a in a, hu- in a normal human sentence. But he was a bit of a, a, a god to many of us when we were coming through, just because of how grumpy he could get <laughs> at any situation, but almost also how much he loved the game. Um, and, you know, hated any impediment between his hotel and the ground, uh, which could include fans, a traffic accident, a gay pride parade, whatever that may be between the ground. He was always moaning about that for the first couple of hours. So your last, what, five years now, you've been on, on, on you quite often go out to tours before any of the other English press do. And it's just you um, hanging out with, whichever, you know, Mark Wood, I'm assuming. I'm just picking a northerner yeah. that you would like to talk to. Um, yeah, so, well, first of all, Cluffy, I'd say, well, yeah, he's a great man, good, good man. And uh, amongst his many, many achievements, and he was a real solid person to learn from, because this job, by the way, is, everyone knows, and look at Meg Lanning today, has just stepped away, and it can get a bit of a, it's not as easy as it's following that that parade around the place there's a lot of time it's away from home it's in hotels I've never known some more level than him and he you know he taught you the value of that best thing he ever did though was leave the england cricket coverage heading into 2019 which was really quite really quite nice because it made that i got the world cup and headingly and if he'd have if he'd have left it 12 months later and i've been walking into a different world so i thank him for that 
Uh, yeah, so at PA, you know, we we kind of still have a a policy whereby we, when England arrive, we arrive, and when England leave, we leave. That that's kind of the contract that we have, because the national media, you know, they they subscribe to PA, I guess, to be there when they're not and to fill gaps, and and that's what that's the job that we do for them. So yeah, there'll, there'll be times on tours where I'll turn up just to watch their. They call it, you know, they get my, getting getting the shake the flight out of their legs. I literally get a cab across town, forty five minutes, and watch them jog jog around the pitch, have a look at the wicket, and get in the bus and go home. <laughs> so, it, um, you know, the, these can be wasteful days, but you know, often equally, there can be some interesting things, and you get to sit, sit and chat and and speak to some of the guys, and uh, yeah, you know, then then everyone else arrives and asks the important stuff. But it's it is it is it is valuable because you know, cricket. I think a lot of the players even maybe found in the pandemic era was as much as the, I suppose it's the old Oscar Wilde thing about there's only one thing worse than been talked about. And that's not been talked about. And maybe there's only one thing worse than you know, people following you every move. And that's nobody following you every move. Can I ask about that? Because I think it, we end up having very different relationships with the players, broadcasters and journalists. Cause you're, you're sort of around them as you've just pointed out, like right from the start of a tour, you sort of just end up being naturally affable. Whereas broadcasters, I think, especially on the radio, we kind of try to pretend that we're completely independent from it. Well, not pretend. I mean, we are independent from it. So the more we know about people, the more difficult it is in a, in the moment. If somebody you really, really like gets out to a harebrained shot, mm. you find yourself in danger of making excuses for it rather than just seeing it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I think we sometimes actively try not to have a relationship with players. Whereas I think you guys probably do the exact opposite, don't you? I suppose to some extent, you know, there's, uh, there's, I'm sure there's none of them who would, who would say they've, they've veered too close to having a, a close relationship with me, but it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not hard to be, to tell the story. If some, if, if a guy hits one up in the air first ball, that's what they've done. It's not, a, it's not a controversial thing to point that out to them. They might, whether they like to see it or like, Mm. Whether they like to see the, the the TV shot of it, hear the commentary of it, see the photograph of it, or read the paragraph about it, doesn't you know the thing that's going to rile them most is that they got out for not. It's it's not what we say about it. So yes, but if your voice is in the background going, "Oh, what a terrible shot that is!" I tell you, <laughs> you get some filthy looks from the mothers of the players, let alone the actual players. <laughs> so Rory, you. As as an agency writer, I mean, Dan's talked about having to be quite neutral, but it's still basically broadcasting for an English audience at a certain point. Agency copy is the most neutral, right? It's like the uber neutral thing. Mm-hmm. I know you as a man of many opinions. Yeah. I would say that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I love that Dan's laugh on that. Um, yeah. I would say that you're not known in the public as a man of many opinions, you're probably known as, in the public as the person who writes about, well, as you said before, you know, the, the first training session as, you know, how does Mark Wood look getting off the bus mm. um, and all those sorts of things and, and covering press conferences. Yeah, always dashing. Um, uh, for you, this is quite a new thing. I, I feel like I've always wanted to see Rory Dollard um, uncut and I feel like <laughs> this is the perfect place to see that. Well, yeah, well, this is where we find out whether, you know, I can actually play the instrument or whether it's all just studio trickery. <laughs> um, I think, 
I think uh, the the idea that agency style is completely without um, opinion is not entirely true. It's just about how you present the opinion. I think you know you you for a start you often lead the press conference and you you push the direction of travel on what what's been discussed sometimes. So there is there is sort of narrative in there and and uh, an opinion in there. Um, so it's not as though you just you just sort of regurgitating a scorecard. That'd be a that'd be sort of a mistake. But um, yeah, there are a few extra opinions on that, and and we don't, you know, what what we don't do is generally publish the sort of big opinion piece of this guy's got to go, it's tight, the heads must roll, that kind of thing. Um, so there is, but you do, you know, you have opinions on these things, of course, you do. Um, so we'll see, we'll see what kind of issues come up, but I think it'd be slightly maniacal to spend two hundred and fifty days a year or whatever it is watching a cricket team and. Someone says, "Oh, what do you what do you think about that?" And you go, "I haven't really thought about it, to be honest." You know, that's <laughs> you do tend to think about it. You do tend to have an idea of, of how you'd like to see it go. In fact, the only person who's ever spent two hundred and fifty days with a cricket team and has responded with, I "Haven't really thought about it," to most questions about that cricket team is Trevor Bayliss, um, who <laughs> to, <laughs> to whom that was his stock response to almost anything. <laughs> but you know, it worked all right for him. So I, I, I can, I'm, I'm going to really enjoy this because I'm, I'm really going to enjoy this because I can see how this is going to play out. Essentially, my role as a ball by baller is not really to have too many opinions. I have, the, I have the opinion, and then I ask a leading question of the summarizer who's next to me, be it you know Tuffers or Finney or whoever. So essentially, I'm going to get to do this, but Dolly is now going to become a summarizer, isn't he? He's going to become the opinionated summarizer on this oh. podcast. And I'm gonna I'm gonna send him a series of leading questions and see how quickly he combusts. <laughs> I'll I'll tell you what though I'm not what I would say I'm not I'm not into the culture wars of cricket. I don't. That's that's the direction of travel, isn't it? That we're heading in, and it's you know you you're X or you're Y. You're, you've got to be this or you've got to be that. I, as you kind of alluded to, I get my culture war hits elsewhere. I, I you know, love, love a bit of culture war, nothing wrong with that, um, but I just get my fill elsewhere. Cr- cricket, I, you know, I, I'm generally pro <laughs> cricket, so I like to see <laughs> like to see the good in it where I can, but, you know, there's, there's, there are times where it's in short supply. Some of these podcasts that we've been starting, you know, like the West Indies, there isn't a huge, uh, you know, cricket press contingent in the West Indies, as we, as we know, quite often they, the team tours without anyone going with them, any writers and maybe one or two broadcasters. England's obviously not like that. You often go on your own, Rory, but, you know, then people like me and Dan turn up later on and there's, you know, a million newspapers uh, and, and, you know, a couple of magazines as well. So th- there's a big part of it. I remember talking to Lawrence Booth a while back and we said that the majority of English cricket media was probably more news um, you know, who's going to get dropped next? Uh, you know, a big reaction to the last game. You know, something that we're, we're looking a bit more at in this sort of podcast, uh, Rory, is the sort of more the analysis. And that's the thing I suppose you haven't had as much time to be able to do at uh, PA. But I know that you have a lot of, you know, uh, analysis views and, and all that sort of stuff. Is that something you're looking forward to? Like, um, you know, looking at the game in a slightly different way than you might for PA? Yeah, sure. It's 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 good, and it, and it probably feeds back in both directions. You know, I think whenever you're expanding how you're doing stuff, it can help help how you're doing the other things, and maybe it will maybe it will make me think in in a different way. And um, and and there's, as you say, there is plenty. There's, there's there is the nature of the English media is it, it's it's healthy, isn't it? It's it's the way that cricket is covered is 
I'm sure some people have disagreements about certain things that they see or, or feel, but it is being covered. And what you, what you have said there is correct, is that sometimes it is quite depressing when you turn up and you find that the world test champions come over and don't don't have anyone, or they might have one person. It, it, and you look and whatever you do think about the, the, the British media and how they cover stuff is we are doing it and, and people are, newspapers are investing in, in what is quite an expensive gig, sending people to Australia and New Zealand and the West Indies. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of knowledge out there and, and cricket benefits from having a lot of knowledgeable people on, on the circuit who you can tap up and they can fill in the blanks. And that's something I like to like to take advantage of. People can uh, explain the murky stuff that I can see, but I can't explain and, and understand. So there's, there's some of those people to help me out as well. And Dan, like, I think both of us know as people have tried to start businesses and get podcasts off the ground and, and all that sort of stuff. There's, I, rem- I remember having a meeting uh, when we were doing Death of a Gentleman and we're in a, you know, we're in Soho and until there was like the lack of interest in a cricket documentary as we walked into the room <laughs> was, I think just everyone went, like left the board table before we even got there. And you've had the same sort of thing, trying to get up sponsors and all that sort of thing. Cricket's in this weird spot in England at the moment where you could still make a very good argument it's the second biggest sport, even if it is massively dwarfed by football. But there is a bit of a cultural cringe around cricket, which is, um, you know, I suppose now even playing out within cricket with, with the 100 and everything. It's a really interesting time for English cricket. You know, you've got... Uh, what's been happening with Ebony's um, group, and you've now got the the Asian group coming through. You know, with minorities, you've you've got um, everything that's happened with the ECB and and the, the big money that was paid to the, the board members there, and then of course the hundred. It just feels like a really interesting time for English cricket, which perhaps you know for people like me and Rory and you who've covered it a little bit longer, this is far more interesting than it maybe was seven or eight years ago. Well, it is because actually there's a very belated realization that. It was, it was inert and rotten. Was English cricket? It was sort of. Uh, I'm reading a very interesting book on it uh, actually at the moment. A sort of academic text on where cricket sits socioeconomically and culturally within Britain and England. Because don't forget, it's the England and Wales Cricket Board, and Scotland also plays, and Ireland plays. Northern Ireland plays as part of a full Irish team. So it's not like football. There isn't a monoculture, really. There's a whole series of different cultures, and a, a whole bunch of them have been left to wither or have been ignored, uh, mostly you know, in the Afro-Caribbean community and in the South Asian community. Uh, those people have not been allowed in, and cricket has got increasingly um, middle class and upper middle class and reliant on public schools. You know, that When I first started watching the England team, on the radio it was Fred Truman. And players in that England team came from state schools and were working class men. Um, not all of them, by any stretch of imagination, but a lot of them were. And the, the game looked a lot more like it resembled England. In the 1990s, you had, you know, Gladstone Small, Phil De Freitas, Devon Malcolm, Chris Lewis. Uh, there were just so many more pe- people. Uh, more diverse groups being represented in the England team. And that has narrowed and narrowed and narrowed. And then, you know, there are little pockets of difference, Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid coming on, coming along. Uh, but essentially it's still a white public school game. And that is changing before our very eyes. Now, the way that the English cricket authorities try to change that 
is sometimes ham-fisted. I mean, the 100, in essence, is a reaction to the fact that the game had been dwindling behind a paywall and they suddenly realised they needed people to come. And so now they produce a tournament where the commentators are expected to scream, look, a child, a child, go and talk to the child. See, we could have children come to cricket. And it's it's slightly irritating, I have to say. This isn't a gripe about the 100, I hasten to add. It's a gripe about, you know, what, what the purpose of it is and why it's there. But you're absolutely right. Ebony's ACE programme is really important. The South Asian Engagement programme as well is really important. But it'll take years for that to filter through into people who are playing it. It might take less time to engage those people into coming to watch cricket. And that's that's what I'm really on the lookout for. You know, it, it's like training doctors when the government says, we're going to train up loads of doctors. Well, whoopee do. That's going to take nine years before any of them's treating anybody. Similarly, you know, it's going to take years and years before any of these people who are involved in engagement programs are playing cricket regularly. But their parents might go, their brothers and sisters might go, they might start engaging with the game that they're watching. And that, I think, will make for a more diverse fan group. I think English cricket fandom has been a bit, well, I'd say polarised. It's been a bit monocultural, hasn't it? You've got Barmy Army following England and you've got county fans following county cricket. And I'm not disparaging either group, but they don't they represent quite a narrow vertical of people. And that's where English cricket is so very different from say Indian cricket and Australian cricket, and indeed West Indian cricket, where they represent such a wider group of society, such a more diverse group of society. Mostly I'm talking about class here as much as anything else. And in England, those classes are not represented. So it's really lovely that we got Dolly on so that he can represent the entirety of the working class <laughs> and I can I can exist yeah, as continuity. Right. <laughs> I was waiting the whole time for that to be a Dolly joke and you got so serious. I was like, he's not even going to make it. He's forgotten. He's forgotten to insult Dolly all the way through here. Um, so He's got all set up, no punchlines. Uh, no, that was perfect. That's a perfect way to go. Look, I can't wait. As I said, uh, you're two of the most disagreeable per- people I've ever met, but also two of the most, uh, certainly two of my closest friends within the English cricket media. Um, I love you both dearly. And so really what I wanted to do is see you two ruin your relationship with each other <laughs> by coming on a podcast <laughs> and argue as 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 often as possible. But uh, from, from 99.94, just, it, it's huge to be able to get you two. I know, I know how talented both of you are. Dan, because you tell me, <laughs> Rory, because I've seen you do the work. Um, and I cannot wait to get you on. Uh, but thank you so much for joining up. And, uh, you know, uh, it, I, I look forward to the many, many arguments, both on and off air, that you both continue to have. It's going to be fun. Nice one. I can't wait. I don't look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. If you want to find uh, England on 99.94, it is in your podcast streams. So Google that. It'll also be on the YouTube channel. And Rory and Dan, you can follow them on Twitter as well. Um, and they will tweet it out or you follow our Twitter. Or you can go on our app. Uh, the 99.94 app will also have it. There's lots of places uh, for these two great men that you can follow. Thanks for listening. Hey there. My name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1. 
a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.